Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey everyone, this is Bay Curious. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Before we start today's episode, I've got an important note. We finished production on this week's story about San Quentin Prison in February 2020, just before coronavirus took hold. In the months that followed, a few cases at the prison grew to more than 2,200. Ultimately, two-thirds of people at San Quentin got infected, and 29 people died. It was one of the deadliest outbreaks in the nation's prison system. Things have mostly turned the corner now that the majority of people inside are vaccinated, but questions remain about how things were handled, and long-term effects from the outbreak are still being felt. In April, KQED's podcast, The Bay, had an episode about life at San Quentin after the initial outbreak. You know, it's like people are on edge. It's like, you know, I've been locked up 12 years, okay, and uh, this is the worst by far, year I've ever had in my life. And uh, it's just packed, five years packed in one. We think it's an important story for you to hear alongside the history that we're about to present. So I highly encourage you to give both a listen. You'll learn not only how San Quentin came to be, but what's going on there today. Check our show notes for a link to the Bay's episode. All right, on with the show. There's something unexpected near the western edge of the Richmond-San Rafael Bridge. Nestled among million-dollar homes with sweeping bay views in the shadow of Mount Tamalpais stands one of California's most storied prisons, San Quentin. Teresa O'Malley would look at the prison on her commute across the Richmond-San Rafael Bridge every day for years. And she wanted to know what a lot of us have wanted to know. So I was just wondering sort of how this maximum level prison got to be in Marin County and how it's still standing there. California's only death row for men right in the middle of expensive, beautiful, exclusive Marin County. Today, we'll take a trip inside the prison to learn how it ended up there and why it hasn't moved. I'm Olivia Allen Price. This is Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over.
And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfettah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. To get to the prison, you first drive through the cute little town of San Quentin, almost hidden under the Richmond San Rafael Bridge. It's mostly homes, but there's a quaint little post office, too. I meet reporter Kelly O'Mara in a parking lot next to a secluded beach. Pretty much everything we see sits at odds with what you would expect around a prison. After checking in with the guard at the front gate, we made our way to the actual prison entrance, a brick building with a fortress-like front. This building is the original prison, built in 1854. That's just four years after California became a state. And this is where we met Lieutenant Sam Robinson to learn about the history of how San Quentin came to be. Uh, so San Quentin began as a private prison. It was a prison ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the prison ship docked at Angel Island, or then in Corte Madera, in July of 1852. After the purchase of 20 acres of land here on this side, uh, the ship sailed across the bay from Corte Madera. Those first inmates were brought over on a prison boat after the jails in the city got too crowded from all the lawlessness back in the 1850s. No, this was here. No, it was just hills and, and marshland and just kind of everything else, right? Uh, it was land that really no one wanted. Why right here? Because back then it was cheap. The state legislator reportedly paid $10,000 for 20 acres in what was then called Punta de Quentin. That's about $320,000 in today's money. Now, there were some farms and ranches in other parts of Marin, but this bayfront property was relatively undesirable. Remember, back then, there were no bridges. Marin was remote territory, a place that you might ship prisoners to. For the first two years at San Quentin, the prisoners still lived on the ship. They dug rocks out of the quarry up the road and built the cell block. Inmates on the boat were (laughs) marched off the boat every day to the hills here around San Quentin, were literally made big rocks into little rocks, and they built essentially what has become the facade of our facility. That's right. They had to build their own prison, a red brick building that we're now looking at. But they dressed it up in like the 1890s to to the more castle-like facade. We had to go through one locked gate to get to where we're standing on the larger prison grounds. It's where you'll find offices and staff housing. There even used to be a school here. The inmates actually live behind another set of gates. That's where Lieutenant Robinson takes us next. And as you walk through the entrance into the prison, that building, you walk into what we call the plaza. And the plaza sits between uh, our chapel complex to the right and the adjustment center, which is uh, our security housing unit um, to the left. And directly in front of us is the San Quentin Hospital. And beyond that, there's a recreation yard, a baseball diamond, more housing blocks, all with Mount Tam looming in the distance. There's so much going on inside. San Quentin is truly a walled city. Of course, San Quentin wasn't always this big. 
Bastille Day, 1852, there were 50, 60 guys on the ship. Um, today, we house 4,000. With all this growth has come a lot of additions over the years, and some other big changes, too. In 1893, the first state-conducted execution was held at San Quentin. And since then, more than 400 people were executed here. The last one in 2006. In 2019, Governor Gavin Newsom issued a moratorium on the death penalty. Still, more than 700 men are currently housed on death row at San Quentin, awaiting an uncertain future. How we treat prisoners is always evolving, and there are signs at San Quentin of a more brutal past. Robinson takes us on a tour of one of the oldest remaining parts of the prison, the dungeon, built in the early 1850s. Each one of these wells had big solid black doors in front of it. So no matter what perspective you're in, you're securely locked away in the dark. And the reason why there's no bed in there, because we lock a minimum of one, all the way up to six guys in a well together. In each room, we give three conveniences, which are three buckets, one with water and two that are empty. The dungeon hasn't been used since 1943. The warden at the time decided that this kind of thing was inhumane and unnecessary. So he took off the doors and had them melted down so they could never be put back on. Since then, the dungeon's been used for storage at times and as a reminder of our history. After all, San Quentin's original parts are some of the oldest things still standing in the Bay Area. Moran wasn't really here before San Quentin. I don't think there's any other structure in Moran. So really, almost history in California. We're standing on site right here at San Quentin. This is, this is history. Okay, so it's pretty easy to understand how the prison originally got built here. It was cheap, you could dock a boat, there was a quarry for rocks and bedrock to build on. But Marin today is very different than it was 160 years ago. Now this land is worth a lot of money. That's the second half of the question Therese asked. Why hasn't San Quentin moved? Couldn't the state save money on a prison somewhere cheaper and sell this land? I talked to Joe Nation, who was the state assemblyman for Marin County in 2002 and 2003, the last time a prison expansion was debated. And he had some ideas at the time about moving San Quentin from this spot. I just thought there were other opportunities for it. I mean, part of it was the deep water ferry port that I thought would make a lot of sense. A deep water ferry port would allow the Larkspur Ferry to avoid the shallow no-wake zones it currently runs through. And Nation thought it could connect to the smart train and you could build much-needed housing. I thought if you made it a transit hub, if you made it a, you know, so that people could actually live there, work there, you know, or commute on the ferry to the East Bay or to San Francisco, that made a lot of sense. Obviously, that didn't happen. No. It's mostly just really hard to get things to happen that change the status quo. You have to get a lot of different people on board. There was opposition at the local level, some of it relatively strong. There was strong opposition at the state level. There, was, there wasn't any enthusiasm for it at the state level. San Quentin prisoners do benefit from a lot of services in the Bay Area, which would be tougher if the prison moved somewhere remote. And the jobs at the prison are also good, steady jobs with decent pay. And people obviously have mixed feelings about the death penalty. Lots of towns don't really want death row to move in. But the other thing is, many locals in Marin actually prefer the prison. The county did study alternatives for the land back when expansion was being debated, and they got a lot of pushback from people who didn't want another development moving in there. People didn't want more traffic, more housing, or more crowding. 
It does just sort of sit back there, forgotten about. Not a ton of cars or too many people coming and going. Yeah, counterintuitively, the prison is actually preferable for a lot of Marinites. Yet, ironically, for those same reasons, you would never be able to build San Quentin in that spot today. Never in a million years. Even Lieutenant Robinson knows people think it's sort of weird that Death Row is right amid some of the most expensive land in the state. It looks almost like a resort from the outside. We are right here on the shoreline and get to see all the beauty that uh, the Bay gives you every day. I lived in San Rafael for 11 years and rarely even thought about it. But it's some of the oldest history in California. And there's a lot that goes on behind those fences and gates. There are people who have hope and a new day and a new future, that the laws may change to benefit them, um, that they've worked to become better people themselves. Um, And so it's just not this place that I think in our imaginations where people are sitting in the corners and conniving to do bad things all the time. I think you see humanity within the walls. Uh, All aspects of it, good and bad, you see it within here, uh, but you see it. Today's episode was reported by Kelly O'Mara. Bay Curious is made by Katrina Schwartz, Brendan Willard, Sebastian Mino Buccelli, and me, Olivia Allen Price. We're a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.